Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I am Brian Gottlieb, joined as always by Jerry Thompson. Wait, this doesn't this doesn't feel right. This isn't usually how we do this, right? This is backwards, but maybe maybe it's correct, Brian. Okay. Okay. It just struck me as very odd, but you're right. I do remember us discussing that we were going to do things a little bit differently this week. And I think for a really good reason. Uh, you have all been kept apprised of my travels across the country. They are mostly done at this point, but still plenty of complications to be unraveled. Still not a lot of Magic the Gathering games in my life, unfortunately. But where one of us isn't able to step up to the plate, the other one is always willing and ready. Jerry Thompson has been living on Magic Online, grinding out games with the absolute best deck in the format. I, I think it's indisputable at this point, Jerry. You're you're a, you're a food master. You're an, you're an Asmore aficionado, and uh, you've spent some time bringing me up to speed. And I think the goal is to do exactly the same thing for our listeners today. I think I've played more Magic Online since MH2 than I have in the last three years, maybe. Uh, it's been a lot. I haven't been playing food the entire time. I've been trying some other decks. I've also been drafting a decent amount, so I don't want to make it sound like I've logged, you know, a thousand hours with this deck or whatever. I haven't. All right. But I still know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I've spent some time watching your replays. You've played in multiple uh, events, leagues. You've had extreme success. And I think the thing that is most interesting about the situation we're in is that you're not doing things the same as everyone else. You have some really strong points of divergence from the typical food plan. And having watched your games, I'm on board. I agree with you 100% the way you're building your deck. And I'm not really surprised, like, not to toot your horn here, but if I was to say a situation where like I am most willing to just take your deck list blind and trust that you have one of the best decks in the room, it's essentially a scenario where the best deck is known, you've played it a bunch, you know your targets, and now you're just tweaking and tuning it and getting all these little things correct. And uh, this deck just has the hallmarks of like you've put in your time and you've figured out how to address everything going on in the format. Yeah, and the, the thing is, is that this is almost certainly not the final form, right? Like there, there could be a better version of this strategy out there. Uh, there could be just a, a better green black food deck out there or, uh, you know, like better sideboard plans, what have you. And obviously things are probably like getting worse before they get better as far as like how hostile the metagame is towards you. But right now I like my spot and uh, especially over the last week, I think that I've hammered out some pretty reasonable sideboard plans, and I've certainly done my research and gone through like every you know possible card or whatever. And I'm kind of at the point now where I'm starting to work on other versions just to see if they have legs too, because I'm not really the type of person to like grind a deck just to get moto rich. You know what I mean? It's like I sure. learned what I wanted to learn, and now I'm kind of ready to move on, but. If there if there was like a, a big tournament, a PTQ or like the, the challenges even, I think are pretty good places to just be like, all right, I'm going to put my head down, play the best deck and just try and get some get some money, buy some Ragavans with it or something. Uh, I, I would be playing this deck for sure. 
Yeah, I would snap off this deck in a second. I agree with you. Uh, gonna hit you with the list in just one second, but before I do that, I just want to make my stance clear. I think this is the Hogak of MH2. I, it is so uh, diverse and its game plans so uniquely powerful. It feels like it's operating on a different level than the rest of the modern format at the moment. Maybe it'll be attack. Maybe we'll find even more busted things to do. But uh, I, I think we found PowerPoint number one. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Uh, okay. So people have seen these Golgari food decks, and I think that those decks are fine, but they all kind of have the same problem where they run out of gas. And if you're able to you know, keep an Asmore on the battlefield. Maybe you have Finale of Devastation to get more Asmores or whatever. That's fine. I think that's a solid plan. This deck doesn't really run out of gas. And I think a lot of the decks that people have been trying to beat up on food with have been like slower controlling decks. Uh, basically just like decks that go over the top, right? Like any sort of control deck, um, Niv-Mizzet decks, Amulet Titan, those sort of things. And a lot of those decks actually just fold to Trail of Crumbs. And for whatever reason, people are not playing this card. And I don't get it. Uh, it. It happened the same way in Standard, man, right? Where like people just didn't play Trail, maybe sideboard some copies, and then it was like, oh yeah, we play four of this main. Yeah, I do remember that evolution happening there as well. Uh, we're going to talk plenty about Trail of Crumbs. I want to start with the deck list, though, for people who are listening at home. Just real quick. We're looking at four Gilded Goose, three Cauldron Familiar, four Asmores, four Oval Chase Daredevil, three Feasting Troll King, four Street Wraith, four The Underworld Cookbook, three Witches Oven, four Trail of Crumbs, three Bone Shards, one Springleaf Drum, four Urza Saga, of course, four Dark Boar Pathway, an Urborg, two Swamp, two Forest, two Overrun Tomb, four Verdant Catacombs, four Blooming Marsh. We'll talk about the sideboard when it's time to discuss sideboarding, but I wanted to be clear about the main deck to start with. Um, and the first thing I want to delve into with this deck is just talk to me about what you're doing here. Like what, what are the game states you're trying to reach? What are the points where you are advantaged against the rest of the format? Like we, we know the major players, we know the cards that matter, but talk more about the game states you're working towards when you're using these cards. Your deck is just like overwhelmingly one mana cards. So you're definitely looking to mulligan fairly aggressively to make sure that you're doing stuff on the first few turns. And it could be as simple as just like playing Cauldron Familiar, playing Witch's Oven, and maybe a Trail of Crumbs to go along with it. But a lot of your best draws, your most explosive draws, involve the Underworld Cookbook alongside will chase daredevil so that you're able to just continually generate food and then eventually you'll find something to do with it whether it's like asmore feasting troll king uh maybe cauldron familiar plus trailer crumbs somewhere later on down the line maybe it's just like pumping the constructs you get off of urza saga so that's basically it the sequencing uh really depends on what your hand looks like and what you figure out your opponent is playing just based on what they do in the first couple of turns and how you go from there. Uh, one thing that I have found to be mostly true across a lot of different matchups is when I first started playing the deck, I was like, yeah, jam out Asmore, jam out this 3-3. And now the more I play the deck, the more I'm sandbagging it until I can actually get value from it. So if 
save I have an opening hand that has uh, a street wraith and no turn one play, I might not be cycling the street wraith. Maybe I'm going to wait. But certainly if I have like an underworld cookbook, which means that I'll have a discard outlet to play as more later, then you can just fire off the street wraith and like try and dig for a gilded goose or something to do on turn one. And then there's like the decision for how all in you want to be as far as like when you bring back your feasting troll king and stuff like that. I mean, you have draws that can enable it on turn two, but maybe it's like turn three, turn four, turn five. It's a little bit later on down the line. Maybe you want your food because you're about to be making some constructs and you want them to be a little bit bigger or whatever, you know? Again, a lot of these things are just context dependent. Yeah, that's one of the great things about this deck is I think it plays in so many situations so well. And if you're familiar with these cards, either through their standard lifespans, you know how the Jun food decks will get to this point of inevitability where they're just able to keep looping their cauldron familiars over and over and they're drawing a card every time and the advantage just snowballs out of control. This deck does it 10 times harder than those decks ever did. But the really great part about this deck, I think, is its capacity to just have explosive starts with basically no resource investment whatsoever. Like, I, I actually want you to tell the story of a replay we watched right before the podcast. <laughs> uh, your your match against a uh, basically Rakdos mid-range deck that had an amazing start, and you very quickly invalidated it. They played a turn one discard spell, turn two, play two discard spells, Turn three, played a Dothy Voidwalker and, you know, admittedly missed a land drop, right? My hand at this point is all lands. My battlefield is all lands. And all I did was play Saga on turn two, make a token on turn three, make a token turn four on my upkeep, go get a cookbook, play another Saga, just immediately start discarding like my access lands to cookbook. And I just killed them with like a pair of six sixes. You won easily. And easily. They, play, they played a Croxa like in the mix along there. And then they played a Liliana of the Veil as well. So yes. it's not like they ran out of gas at that point. They were they were doing the things their deck was supposed to do at every single point of the game. Your deck failed to function and you blew them out of the water <laughs> with your Urza Sagas. And I've like not only that scenario where you're resource light, but I saw scenarios where you just assembled an army really quickly, usually based on like as more off a street rate cycle and you get your cookbook and saga is your next land drop and just turn four turn five you have lethal presented or maybe you just turn two feasting troll kings like you have access to these really really explosive starts that usually a long game deck like this you you wouldn't expect them to have access to so the problem that i found with a lot of the green black food decks was you Say like you draw an Urza Saga, a cookbook, and Asmore, a Troll King. Like if if they deal with your threats, you know, you're you're presenting like four threats. It's it's not like that absurd. And you could be like, you know, plus or minus a threat, whatever. But it is it's not that difficult for like a control deck or like a Rakdos mid-range deck or something like that to deal with those threats. And then you just have no engine. You have nothing in place. You have, you know, like some cookbooks, some foods, maybe like a witch's oven or whatever. And you are just relying on the top of your deck to keep those threats coming, right? And trail is where you just get to switch gears if you want to and just start drawing cards and bury them. And I, I think this deck is really good at using all of its mana for like the first four turns. And then you just kind of sit there and do nothing unless you are very fortunate, draw like multiple Urza Sagas and things like that. 
And people have mostly picked up on that and they're like playing Life from the Loam or uh, Finale of Devastation is another one where it's like, okay, here's like more copies of Asmore. So it's more gas and can potentially scale the longer you go and stuff. But they're just like these one-shot effects or right. in the case of Life from the Loam makes you even more susceptible to graveyard hate because people love bringing in like Rest in Peace and Leyline and you just like don't even care about that stuff really. And Trail, trail certainly helps with that, where, you know, in, instead of using Daredevil to discard cards, you just trail into cards and discard them. That's fine. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so the the Feasting Troll Kings and, like, the graveyard interaction, it's, it's really funny to me because it just kind of, like, throws the opponent off the scent of what yeah. truly matters, where you have the capability to turn to Troll King, but I don't even want those draws, you know? It's just like, I, I want it to be there to be threatening to my opponents so that they'll like bring in Leyline against me. But I'm I'm just going to trail everyone inevitably. Yeah, your better draws have a bit more pace to them. And again, I think that's what makes the Hogak call out appropriate. Like certainly it was a little bit more in Hogak's case slanted towards, yes, I can do busted things out of my graveyard. That's where that deck was supremely powerful. But we know what the metagame evolved to, where it was very leyline focused and main deck leylines became a thing. And it didn't matter because you had access to your convoke starts or you could you know, just do a beatdown plan. And I think this deck is doing the exact same thing where if you try and go after, say, graveyards, or if you try and go after your opponent on the artifact side of things, where you just want to restrict them from keeping a massive artifacts in play, that that's fine that that's a good speed bump but there's other ways they can go about challenging you and trail of crumbs seems to even further that game plan where you're just not vulnerable to these attrition based strategies anymore on your opponent's part you you will outvalue them again another replay that we watched together uh you against niv where niv puts just tons of cards into their hand basically has the perfect start uh multiple bring delights doing whatever they want you I, you outvalue them easily off the back of Trail of Crumbs, just resource after resource coming off the top of your deck, and there's really nothing they can do about it. Well, let, let me talk about that game, actually, because it was sure. it was kind of interesting where I had the ideal start. I had, like, Cookbook into Asmore, and I, I just jammed it, and uh, the card I discarded was a Feasting Troll King, and I just, like, lost my early start to a Kaya Skyle, which, you know, had I been more familiar with, like, the format and just getting used to those play patterns, I would have just never made that play. And I would have held my ass more until I could get value out of it. So like, that's one of those instances where I think just jamming, it was probably pretty bad. Cause I had options too. Like I had a trail, I had Nurse's saga, you know, mm -hmm. I very easily could have done other things and just held as more so that I couldn't get put under pressure uh, and just sat there and worked my trail, you know? Uh, so they, they like, Kaya's guiled me a couple times. They played turn four Niv. I think they drew like five cards off it. Uh, it was like another Kaya's guile, Dreadbore, Teferi, yep. Renin Six or something, you know. All these cards. Oh, there's a, a General Ferris in there. Yep. Uh, so the turn after they Niv, they Omnath, and then uh, General Ferris shortly thereafter, they end up with like four tokens. And at this point, you know, like I lost my Asmore. I made some tokens with Urza Saga. Those got killed by the Kai's Guile and stuff. And they just like amassed this huge army. Thankfully, I found a Cauldron Familiar so that I could discard it to Cookbook and sacrifice it to uh, trigger Trail on the cheap. Because if I were stuck paying like three mana to like crack a food and pay for Trail, 
I probably would have been too slow, right? Yeah. And then the the familiar also allowed me to like block Omnath and stuff like that. And then it just got to a point where on turn seven or something, I finally found an Asborn. I had eight food. I just killed all their stuff and drew a bunch of cards. And then from there, they're just kind of like backpedaling. Like, what do you do, right? Like they they niv, they drew five cards, they use those cards to deal with like the, the resources that I was generating. And then they were just out of gas. Yeah. And your gas continued for the rest of the game based on trail of crumbs. And I think more copies of trail of crumbs joined the fray. And it just became very clear that any deck trying to challenge you via traditional means couldn't, it just wasn't going to happen. You had access to too many resources. Uh, Oval chase daredevil got into the fray and, things were over from there yeah you you kill them with whatever and the the alternative plans like uh life from the loam finale i i would have lost to their turn four niv for yep. sure and 100 i mean you you can make the argument that like well if i would have played correctly and like held my ass more i could have killed the niv yes but like they still would have ground me out with all the cards that they drew right betrayal was just this thing that was in play generating like a ton of resources and there, there was a moment like a few turns after that where they did cast Bring the Light for five and the best thing they could get was like an abrupt decay, right? So like that is definitely a thing that they should be aware of where, uh, so like my opponent, for example, had a main deck on Mordigo. Well, that card is almost certainly worse than like a Creeping Corrosion or Fracturing Gust in, yeah. in current modern, right? So I think that if that game went on and they Fracturing Gusted me, that, you know, I almost certainly lose the game because it was like the turn before I found Asborn. Yeah, a good takeaway for sure, especially if you're going to find yourself on the other side of things. If you are the type who wants to challenge this deck, uh, more power to you. I will not be doing that as long as they let me play with this deck. I'm probably going to do so, uh, assuming I'm playing like a high value event. But certainly someone's got to be out there trying to fight against it. And uh, yeah, I, I think identifying these small points are good, but you, you can't rely on one card to do the job. You have to have a multifaceted game plan against this deck. Yeah, and it, this Niv deck was not the only deck that I played that was trying to do that stuff. You know, like I've played against Esper Control and similar things, and uh, even against like the Cascade decks, like Cascading into Crashing Footfalls. Like they're making some four fours, they're blocking, they're they're like brazen borrowing your your tokens and everything. Like if if you don't have anything, they they can just grind you out, right? And I've been able to do well against decks like that with things like Trail too. So. Uh, Trail has not felt slow. It is not like standard where you will have to like pay two mana to sack a food in mm. a lot of instances because you have cookbook, which allows you to discard the troll kings and uh, you have Asmore and Cauldron Familiar. Like you have plenty of ways to just sack the food without paying the two mana. So trail is like fairly mana efficient for what it does too. And like, obviously there's, there's Gilded Goose too. So. Yeah, like I said, this this is probably the biggest point of divergence between you and other people playing this deck. I am so firmly on your side with this one. Just if you haven't tried Trail of Crumbs and you're convincing yourself it's it's not good or you like some other plan better, play a few games with it. And I, I can't imagine you come out on the side of, oh, I don't want Trail of Crumbs after that. Well, I, I would not recommend just like playing two Trail of Crumbs. I would recommend trying Go to hard. Like build your deck around it, right? Yep. And, you know, play Trail on turn two. So like Urza Saga, right? Like you want to play whatever one drop you have, Saga on turn two, so that you can activate it on turn three and turn four on your upkeep, yep. right? And 
that means that you want something else to do on turn two. Well, Trail of Crumbs is pretty good. And then once the saga goes away, you're going to want to like find additional land drops and find other things. You're going to have things to do with your mana once the saga's gone. And like Trail is perfect for that. So Trail works really well with Saga for a lot of reasons. Like it, it keeps feeding you lands, keeps feeding you artifacts, keeps feeding you like more Sagas. And if you if you just like play two trails in in your deck and like you know maybe you're not playing a lot of witches ovens or cauldron familiars or whatever then you're probably not going to have like the full experience that I do you know what I mean yeah I, I also think your sideboard is very well built to take advantage of trail of crumbs but we're going to save talking about that until we actually get to the sideboarding section of this here breakdown anything else you want to say about trail before we move on to some other points with the deck uh it's it's just really good I, I don't know what what i can possibly say or do to try and convince people it's just like games of modern can go very long and uh you know trail is just there to bail you out it gives you inevitability and like say the game is is fast and you know you're you're not gonna like use it for anything well you're probably gonna end up pitching like a non-daredevil card to a cookbook at at some point right so right. It's not like you don't have ways to like utilize this this extra piece of cardboard if it's not serving you because the entire deck is that you know like the second troll king's not good the second daredevil's not good whatever like you either find ways to use them or it just means that what you're doing is working and you don't need them so I really don't know what the aversion to it is it doesn't make any sense right there with you let's move on let's talk more about Urza's Saga. So uh, th this is the deck that is the Hogak of the Modern Horizons 2 format. I don't know which card is actually the Hogak, though. It, it might be Asmore or it might be Urza's Saga. I think you can make a case probably for Urza's Saga a little bit better because it's finding play in multiple places and feels like it is the format definer and i'm not sure that asmore would really work without it like so much of the deck is built around using the mana uh, efficiency that urza saga instills in your mana base and then taking advantage of the holes elsewhere with the one cost options you have all over the place so certainly this is as vital a part of the strategy despite the fact that it's not a food card uh we discussed last week how we were deceived by urza saga at first and we still thought it was very good once you realize you can make two constructs, this is a bonkers card. The output from this card as a piece of your mana base, like just getting these. I don't even know how big these constructs are on average. I saw a lot of your games start with six, six and seven, seven constructs because your turn one, which is oven and then turn two is saga time and trail of crumbs comes along and then there's a construct and another construct and all this time underworld cookbook might be in the mix making more food uh these tokens come down very large i think that part is indisputable but what's more interesting to me about your list is the targets you've chosen and and there's a few across the deck and sideboard do you want to hit on those and then we can talk more about anything you want to say uh in regards to construct play patterns as well yeah, I think I think six six is pretty normal, at least in this deck. I mean, if you're playing a non cookbook deck, I think your constructs are going to be smaller on average. Like maybe mm. you just have some Mishra's Bobbles and whatever tutor targets you have that are not like terrible to draw. And maybe you're making some four fours, but I think that that's completely fine. So they're certainly over 
performing in this deck because you have cookbook just making a bunch of resources. Um, yeah, like from from my experience, it's just been like you get you make construct, you make construct, your saga goes off, you're searching for a one or a zero mana artifact. What do you want in a lot of these different scenarios? And in the vast majority of the scenarios, it's just like, well, I want more artifacts to kill my opponent faster. Yeah, more so, cookbooks. Yeah, so cookbook is cookbook is it. I mean, if you have a cookbook already and you don't have a daredevil, then maybe you don't have enough resources. Uh, so then maybe you get a witch's oven, which means that if they kill one of your constructs, then you're probably getting two food out of the deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that that's goes big. along. That, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real game changer. It sounds like a small thing, but it, it's not. No, it is because that's like almost a feast and troll king, and it's a yep. lot of cauldron familiar triggers, and it's an Asmore activation. You know, uh, it, it plus twos or a plus ones, I guess your other one, as you lose the construct but you gain a food. You know, right. so it's it's still pretty good. And then in, in a lot of these scenarios, it's like, yes, I, I I could see merit for a pithing needle or a Nile spell bomb. Uh, Shadow spear is one of the cards that popped up that I do think is really really good. Because then it gives your construct lifelink and trample. So against any of the like Ragavan, yep. uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, like against humans, against any sort of deck like that, normally they can just be like, okay, whatever, I'll just you know block your construct and attack around it. And Shadow Spear makes that not really possible. So the Shadow Spear is really good in those matchups. And right now it's like. I don't know, 15% of the overall metagame. So I don't really see a reason to play at main deck, but it's definitely in my 75. So yep. I think it is that strong. Yep. And it, the same could be said for like Needle and a Graveyard Hate card, where like, or, do decks exist where these cards are good against them? Like, yes, but not so much that I want to just naturally draw that card in game one, you know? And obviously these things are going to change as the metagame evolves and everything. So Feel free to play uh, whatever you want main deck if you feel like it is going to increase your win percentage. But for me, I'm I'm just like bare bones with cookbooks and witches oven, and then I have a single springleaf drum. Is anyone else doing this, or is, yes. is this kind of a you thing? Yes, I picked this up from a lot of other people. Where at okay. first I was like, this is kind of silly, but I think it makes sense with exactly Trail of Crumbs because. Your saga goes away, you're down a land, and then if your opponent fights through that, that's typically when you start trailing. Mm. So being down a land actually sucks a lot. But since you have, you know, Cauldron Familiars running around and the turn the saga goes off, you have the construct construct untapped with summoning sickness because you made it during your upkeep. It's like, yeah, you get some of that mana back. And that that's actually really relevant in a lot of situations. So uh the one springleaf drum in the version where you're playing four trailer crumbs makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense if you're playing a blue urza saga deck that is trying to get to urza because again your saga goes away you kind of want to get to that four or five mana threshold and if you are not playing an engine then the drum doesn't really make any sense because you don't have a whole lot to spend your mana on anyway any other cards that you dabbled with and discarded as not good enough as urza saga targets god i don't know there's there's so many like you could make an argument for having a redraw with like Mishra's Bobble and it's a zero mana card. So like, how bad is it if you naturally draw it? You know, you yeah. have to maybe get a little look-see in with a fetch land or something. Um, 
like it's it's exactly fine but basically like when your saga is going off think about what you would actually want to get in that scenario not just like oh this is a very small corner case but like if a situation is coming up over and over and over again where you need to get shadow spear to race or whatever like get that thing in your main deck absolutely makes sense to me um one more card i want to check in on your main deck before we start talking about sideboarding stuff uh bone shards that's the removal spell of choice here how much of that is influenced by the fact that you were looking for additional discard outlets for Asmore? How much of it is it just you have this fodder laying around all the time? So this is just a really good removal spell in your deck. That is a good question. The first part of it, for sure, because you play four Street Race, you play four Cookbooks. Is that enough for Asmore? In my experience, it has not been. And okay. I don't know how many more things you need after that, but. Obviously, if you can work some into your deck without it feeling like really bad, then that's great, you know, because then that card is going to be online a lot more consistently. And uh, Bone Shards has felt really good for all of the reasons that you noted where, you know, you discard a Daredevil or Feasting Troll King, you just immediately get it back. Like the discard is not really that much of a cost unless they're actually attacking your engine pieces. Um, but you know, in that instance, you have like this very cheap removal spell that keeps a clock off you and gives you a bunch of time to actually rebuild. So it's still completely fine. Uh, it goes after Planeswalkers, which I think is also very good. Yeah, get in the format right now, it feels. So you could do stuff like, oh, I'll just play Fatal Push or whatever, but Bone Shards kills way more things. And I, I think that that's valuable. I think that, you know, Having another Discord outlet for Asmore is certainly very beneficial, and you could do without it for sure, but I do think that there are definitely going to be games where Asmore is stranded in your hand for at least a little bit, and it's going to feel kind of bad, you know? So I, I've liked Bone Shards. I could see going down to like two copies. Uh, I've done that in some of my lists, but I don't know. I like three. I think that it has like very good targets against a, a lot of the decks in the format, and if you're not getting clocked, then trail is probably going to take over because, you know, you also just have these foods that that gain life, right? Yeah. So it's not like you're going to get nickel and dimed out by like burn or like... And you have so many of them. Like yeah. that's the thing that really blows your mind is you have seemingly constant access to food once you survive those first two turns. Yeah, so all you need is time, right? Because if you kill a threat, you get an extra turn or two, that's untapped steps that you can use as mana to sacrifice those foods and like further bolster your life total and everything. So having some amount of interaction in past Asmore is definitely good. I, I, I see the case for like, oh, I just want Asmore all the time and, mm -hmm. you know, want to play Finale of Devastation. If if you wanted to play like two copies in this deck, I'd be completely fine with that. Change the mana base, play Yavamaya, you know, just make sure that it's castable. But uh, you know, Bone Shards has just been very solid for me. That plus Asmore has felt like enough because Trail can also dig for Asmore. So it's okay. it's been fine. Uh, that brings us very nicely to the final point about the main deck mana base. Anything you want to say about it? it seems mostly straightforward, but any considerations you've had as you've been building out this mana base, anything you maybe want to do differently? I'm playing a lot of lands. I'm playing 23. A lot of people playing Urza Saga are playing like 2021, 20, and Saga is mostly a spell, you know? Yeah. Plus, it's it's like a land that requires you to have other lands. So I don't know why you'd want to play such a low land count. I mean, there, there are certain decks, like if you're talking about Affinity or whatever, and they have a 
bunch of Springleaf drums and Paradise Mantles. It's like, yeah, you can be shorter on lands. That's fine. But this deck just wants to make a land drop every single turn. And also Urza Saga, at least like the fourth one, I kind of consider as a spell. So I like 23 lands. I had a nurturing peat land because I was like, well, 23 is kind of high, but I don't want to flood. And then Mm -hmm. I just never cracked the peat land because I'm just using my mana every turn. So I eventually cut that and I'm just like playing, you know, 19 lands and four sagas. And I'm very happy with that. I've had Yavamai in and out of the deck Uh, without finale. You don't need like double green for anything, really. It's like cast Gilded Goose, activate your other Gilded Goose or something. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you you don't really need the Yavamai for that. And there is there is a cost to that, right? Like potentially fixes your opponent's mana. It allows them to tap their fetch lands for mana and that. I remember a specific instance where that actually just cost me a game straight up because my opponent got to like cast batter skull and then cauldra, you know, be and they were at like two life or something with two fetch lands. So, mm. you know, it's like, do you, do you need the Yevamaya in your mana base? If the answer is no, then don't play it. I've slowly increased the amount of basics I'm playing because I've gotten like cleansing wildfired and people are trying to like blood moon you and stuff. So, yeah. you know, th- there is a certain point in which like your mana base is too good because I have, you know, Burden Catacombs and Pathways and Blooming Marshes. I Like, my mana's good, right? I can cast my spells. So if you can tone down on that to get more basics into your deck, you should probably do that if Blood Moon is a card that people are going to want against you. Now, you, you are still playing the Urborg as of this moment of time in time, though, right? Yeah, because, like, you actually end up wanting double, triple black a lot of the time with, like, Bone Shards, Asmo, stuff like that. Got it. So I think okay. Urborg is good. And being able to you know, give Urza Saga some amount of colored mana utility is is decent. And I think for this list specifically, Urborg is the right one. And then, you know, sideboarding, uh, it, it matters a little bit more too because we'll have some cheap black spells. Yep. All right, let's go to the sideboard. Uh, let me let me go ahead and give a quick read through here. This is what you're working with presently. I'm sure this changes on a near moment to moment basis. But we have one Shadow Spear, one Gris the Hunger Tide, two Engineered Explosives, two Foundation Breaker, four Thoughtseize, one Nile Spellbomb, one Pithy Needle, two Fatal Push, and one Kozilek Butcher of Truth. I kind of just want to run through. Uh, each card in the list and have you talk a little bit about what you're using it for you already hit on shadow spear to start with anything else you want to say about that card no just just the uses that i talked about lets you race aggro uh nile spellbomb and pithing needle all kind of fall under the same umbrella yep. because they're mostly saga targets yep needle is like i'm going to target your planeswalker or preemptively an oblivion stone or something and Nile Spellbomb is just graveyard hate against, you know, Living End and Dredge, things like that. And those decks haven't seen seemed like that difficult. Like normally you would see more graveyard hate. Like you would actually have to like mean it to beat Dredge or whatever. But this mm-hmm. deck can actually just beat Dredge playing a fair game. And this is just kind of to solidify things. But obviously if, if things change and like there's a graveyard deck that's a bad matchup, play more of them if you want to. Yeah, you're a fair game doesn't, really resemble typical fair games that's the thing is you are able to generate battlefield presence at a level that something like dredge usually does so uh, I, I see no reason to go extra hard until the metagame becomes really really graveyard dependent which i think is tough because as you mentioned some people are trying to fight this deck via the graveyard so it doesn't cool. really work there but the decks with the hard focus on graveyard are really getting squeezed all right by it. all right real real talk here when you're playing against a deck 
say like the the Rakdos deck that I played against, or like mm-hmm. Mardu. You know, I'm probably gonna board in like some removal, maybe some extra card advantagey stuff. What do you think I'm taking out? I'm uh, I'm cutting like a Daredevil and a Troll yeah, King and a Cauldron Familiar, yeah, <laughs> and a Witch's Oven, and then it's just like, yeah, you brought in Ley Lines, and now I have like Fatal Pushes and Grist or whatever. Uh, Not gonna so, line up well. Yeah, your 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 graveyard hate might be okay in game one. Like if you want to ley line me in game one, like yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe that's not bad. It's it's way worse in post board games. Yeah, and we we saw that same trend with Hogak as well. It's just you you know what's coming. It's very easy to adapt to it. Yeah. All right, let's hit on on Gris the Hunger Tide. This seems like a, a new addition for you. I've been keeping uh, abreast of your changes throughout the week and it seems like you're only getting excited about this card more recently so tell me what you're trying to do with grist so a week ago when i first settled on basically like the main deck of this you know like this core of like 54 cards or whatever where i was like this is really good i just need a good sideboard plan the thing that i kept running into was in post board games your opponent's going to have a problematic permanent and you're going to be activating trailer crumbs and this came up in like the, the Niv matchup that I showed you where I kept like trailer crumbsing past bone shards. Right. And I'm just like, damn it. You know, yeah. like I just, I just want to be able to take this. So I kept going through gatherer and looking at like enters the battlefield and, and things like that. Just trying to find a trail of crumbsable permanence that could also deal with my opponent's stuff. And I, I didn't find grist through those searches because it's not like an ETB thing. It's just a thing that stays in play, right? And it eventually clicked for me when uh, one of my Yawgmoth opponents played it against me and was like, oh, like this is a permanent and they used it to kill my Asmore and then Asmore could not like retaliate and kill it in response, you know? And just at that point, it was like, I, I can see situations for sure in the mirror where it's like pretty bad. You know, where if you play it and kill their Asmore, then they just attack it down because it's at low low loyalty or whatever. But if it's just Grist versus their one thing, you're, you're probably just winning the game straight up. So I could see a second copy of this. I've had a second copy at various points. And overall, it just depends on like what you expect to play against. So I think that with my overall configuration, you don't, need a ton of copies because i also have the engineer explosives to solve right. a lot of the same issues and uh for ee specifically it's just one of the best cards against the deck and i feel like if you're ahead well then you're just crushing them but if you're behind you being behind usually looks like them having constructs asmo and food and then ee just cleans it all up and if if they're if they're ahead they add more to all your stuff your trail of crumbsing then EE is the perfect card, and it's so cheap too. That that all tracks, and I think the two cards play well together as well. Like you talked about getting them in the scenario where they're down to just one thing. Yeah, EE kind of does the cleanup, and then Gris can be the hammer that just completely controls the board from that point. Yeah, and obviously, you know, if you have any food tokens built up, it's it's going to destroy those. But like I said, this is mostly a card that I'm using for situations where I'm very far behind. Mm. So. If you're a parody or ahead, then, I mean, Explosives probably just locks it up, right? Because you can just set it on whatever is going to cause you the most problems. But when you're behind, it is absolutely the best card in the mirror match. 
I wonder if this is the way forward for the decks that are trying to uh, challenge this mode of playing. If there's supposed to be more artifact-based control decks that can really leverage engineered explosives, get in scenarios where they can do it multiple times, right? Like certainly there's Academy Ruins, uh, Emery, all these ways to just loop engineered explosives that might be the way to go for control decks. Yeah, and I, I don't even think that you need to loop them necessarily. I think that just having a couple in your sideboard is just completely fine because it's it's also just good against you know, Dragon's Rage Channeler right. and all of these other decks. It's it, another reason to play explosives is because it's good against the crashing footfalls too. Yeah. So you you get a lot of play with it, uh, a decent amount, and like certainly more so in control decks. But uh, one one of the decks that I've been trying to nail down is like a Ren and Six Urza Saga control deck, and there's uh. Charlie the Banana King on Magic Online, who is, I believe, Julian Felix Flurry, if you remember that name. I do. Yeah. I don't know why, but I recognize the name. Uh, so he was the one that like cut the ultimatums from the Omnath deck and just played like Cobra Counterspells Ugin. Yeah. And won one of the SCG tournaments. Okay. Uh so he's he's playing like a four-color Ren and Six Urza Saga control deck on Magic Online is like three one to a bunch of preliminaries. He got twelfth in a challenge or something, and his deck looks solid. But I think I'm I'm trying to look at like other dimensions, you know. But he he's been playing like a couple copies of Explosives in his deck, and you know you can't get it with Saga, and he doesn't have Academy Ruins. But like it it will pump your constructs if you play it out on one or zero or whatever, and just let it sit there. Sure, so I think it's perfectly fine to have in his deck and again it's it's one of the best cards against food and he he also has like natural state or uh or nature's claim rather he had that in his first versions i think he eventually went to wear tear in his main deck he has like two copies so okay he's clearly very cognizant of that matchup as you should be right now uh, more trail of crumbsable answers to permanence coming up next with foundation breaker specifically what is this targeting just catch all for any enchantments artifacts that might give you a hard time yeah pretty much i, I had enchantress around right now i've noticed yeah i played against enchantress in uh one of the tournaments i played in and i i beat it like kind of easily because uh i i drew like some nature's claims right and you know fatal pushes and things like that and just kept them off balance uh now with explosives and foundation breaker instead of nature's claim i think my matchup's even better but foundation breaker is like another card that i wanted for the mirror like i i wanted nature's claim to like tag a cookbook on one or a saga on two or something but again i wanted things that were findable with trails and now i have this thing that's like a lot slower but heading into like the mid to late game i can find it off trail and use it to blow stuff up. And if you, you know, you evoke it, you can sack it to Witch's Oven if you want to or whatever. So there's like mm -hmm. a little bit of added value there. Yeah, nice. But it, it is it is a little slow, you know? So it may or may not continue to, to live in the deck or not. I need to get a few more reps in the mirror. Okay. Uh, a card that I imagine will probably always be around uh, for, for this deck's existence. Four Thoughtsies in the sideboard. Where are we looking for these? Uh, how vital are they? I've gone up and down. Ultimately, I'm I'm just living up right now because the the decks that kind of go over the top of you, Thoughtseize is just good against all of them versus like trying to do something specific for Amulet or playing Void mm -hmm. Mirror for the Cascade decks or whatever. It's just like they're they're 
they're prepared for this, you know, some some decks like the Cascade decks bring in like Leyline of Sanctity too, you know, it's like yeah, they might have an answer for this, but like this is the best thing. It's just the best catch-all. Makes sense to me and maybe the best catch-all removal spell, uh Fatal Push. Any thoughts to this being like fourth bone shards potentially or is this just have to be Fatal Push? I've had more, I've had less. I like the instant speed. One of the the bad matchups is the Yawgmoth deck and yeah. Fatal Push is the best card to have against them, whereas Bone Shards is a sorcery. So it's kind of awkward. But yeah, just, you know, in, instant speed, turning on Delirium is trivial. Comically, or not the Revolt, whatever it is, yep. Is, yep. is trivial with all the foods and ovens and, you know, whatever. So uh, I, I think that that could kind of be whatever and maybe explosives is a good enough catch-all against like dragon's rage channeler where you don't even need fatal push not enough people are playing yawgmoth to necessarily warrant a bunch of them i i had three before and like still lost a yawgmoth so it's it's not even like it you know locks it up for you or whatever right. but i don't know i i could take it or leave it it's one of those cards that just kind of like rounds up the sideboard fills out my plans is overall just generally solid but if i find something very specific that i need or want it could very easily go yeah it seems like a trend throughout your sideboard where it's just like your core is so good and your game plan so diversified that you're just looking for these very smooth catch-alls that you can slot in various matchups and have a plan against everyone basically as opposed to oh i need a hammer for this matchup or i need a you know a way to play around this counter hate it's always just about what's efficient what can I slot into this deck seamlessly and still keep my overall plan together? Yeah, uh, that could change. You know, maybe maybe next week I decide that this deck is still good, but then there are three decks that are very bad matchups that are on, you know, polarizing ends of the spectrum. And then maybe Thoughtseize mm-hmm. is not a great catch-all answer. Maybe you do need like Void Mirror and Leyline of the Void and Fatal Push or something. And that will go that direction. But right now... A lot of the decks are doing similar things to where I think that you can have these kind of like generalized catch-all answers, which is pretty nice because it makes building the sideboard pretty easy. And then, you know, I found things that uh, were permanents to find off trail, which makes my game plan even more cohesive. So yep. I, I like the sideboard for this moment in time. You know what I mean? And in in a week or so, maybe it has to get ugly again because the format changes. Yeah, well, let's talk about the first exception to the yep. catch-all. Yep. Uh, Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. This is for that transformational plan, right? Oh, yeah. Just a, a hard ramp deck. And yeah, against Show and Tell. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, no, it's, it's just for Mill. It it could be a Gaze Blessing. Um, <clears throat> there's not really any argument, uh, I suppose, that if you are able to, you know, if you draw a causal, like you can discard it to cookbook to shuffle your deck or whatever, like that's that's better than what blessing can provide. If you draw it, you cycle it. So I think I like it better than the alternative. But yeah, I mean, mill can be a tough matchup because they have like a pretty consistent like turn five kill and you don't, especially through whatever disruption they have. So I think you need something to help that matchup because that's another deck like amulet that just kind of like goes over the top of you you know and you don't have anything you can really do about it thoughtsies helps maybe you know like the fatal pushes help to kill the crabbies and stuff mm-hmm. but you you really want a cause like to kind of solidify it especially since their surgicals just actually have targets against you and you can try and uh 
like incentivize them to surgical things if you want to just to clear the way for Kozilek. Sure. Uh, all right. So so let's go into specific matchups, talk a little bit about the the matchup spread. And I want to start before we get into micro matchups and you tell us your specific experience against the various decks of the format. I just want to talk on a macro perspective. So this is this is the Hogak. This is the best deck. I don't think there's a ton of debate around that fact. We already discussed you can't just play these spot hate cards. They're not going to do enough. So I'm going to start to look for macro trends. What are the ways you can challenge this broadly? And I think you mentioned one, go over the top, do do bigger things. Uh, the things I certainly don't want to do right now is play traditional control into this, where you can grind me out with your trail of crumbs or play other mid-range. Uh, I think this is just a better mid-range engine. And along the same lines, Aggro is tough. Like I, I want to play aggro in a certain way if I think I'm going to be safe against this very robust removal engine you have in your deck, along with all this life gain. It has, it has to look a certain way before I'm playing aggro. Uh, so those are the decks I'm not super interested in right now. The things I am interested in, going over the top, stuff like Amulet still seems very promising to me. Amulet's the great. One, the one area I think is underexplored, stack-based combo. Like this deck is mostly about playing on the battlefield and just skip it. Just don't deal with it. Find your ad nauseum, find your storm. Probably not either one of those decks. I don't think either is particularly powerful right now. Uh, but in, in some ways, Mill is that. Like Mill is stack-based yeah. combo. Uh, and maybe there's other looks at stack-based combo you could look at where the only disruption really you're facing on the other side here, you know, four thoughtsies, maybe... Spellbomb matters sometimes, maybe Foundation Breaker matters sometimes, but for the most part, you're going to get to do your thing pretty consistently. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're still trying to present like a reasonably fast clock with like Urza Saga or Feasting Troll King, but you know, you you just like I don't know, sigh and like the the gust of wind from that just like blows the house of cards down, right? Like it just yeah, you you just deal with like the first reasonable threat and you have so much time, so. Uh, I think ad nauseum or some sort of like Thassa's Oracle combo deck, like you picked up Profane Tutor and maybe that's good enough uh, to, to make the deck reasonable. Uh, Enchantress can in theory lock you out, but the more things like engineer explosives you have, yeah. the worse it gets for them. And I think that if they're just fighting against like nature's claim, then they can eventually just uh, assemble everything right and beat you up pretty badly but once you start having uh mass removal for enchantments then i don't think there's really anything you could do uh aggro anything with one drops that goes wide lightning bolts you know just try and burn me out before i have time to actually stabilize with food and stuff i think that that looks reasonable there's a lot of different versions of that you know a lot of ragavans a lot of dragons race channelers there's less like raw prowess mm -hmm. than there was pre MH2. And maybe that has to change because a lot of these decks are like, I'm going to play a Ragavan and then like counter all your spells. And I'm just like Cauldron Familiar or whatever. They're like, damn it, you know? GG. Yeah. So I, I think that there are prowess lists with like Dragon's Rage Channeler that do provide a fast enough clock. Maybe they have some disruption, uh, but they, they have the threat of burning you out 
and you know attacking you for like 10 on turn three and like that's pretty scary and how about the staples of pre mh2 modern so i'm talking things like humans and uh i already said my opinion on like the jeskai control decks but all those things that have been around forever that we still see people playing and you know if you want to talk about stoneforge mystic decks which seem to have had some success uh picking up cauldra complete was a big deal for those decks i think we talked about why last week yeah how, how do you fare against that stuff stoneforge is solid because of cauldra because mm -hmm. that puts you on a clock and it's not something that you can realistically deal with. So I don't know what the best way to build it is. Like you could look at Ragavan counterspell type of stuff. I think that's fine, but like ultimately a little bit slow and they don't have the right type of disruption a lot of the times. And the white black versions are like also kind of slow. They have more disruption but it's like i don't know you know vanishing verse type of stuff like kai's guile is mm -hmm. okay void walker's okay discard is okay depending on you know what your hand is or whatever so maybe that's the best way to do it is just like you know try and slow them down and then and stone forge them i guess but it's it's definitely not a lock you know because i could also just like bone shards your stone forge mystic and then what are you doing Sure. Uh, I wonder if Heliot is a bad matchup, actually. It seems like it probably would be. Like, obviously, if you get Asmore down, then right. you're fine. You control their battlefield pretty easily. Right, but, like, you don't have a lot of ways to interact, and their, their infinite life is tough to do on Magic Online, obviously, but, mm. you know, assuming you're in real life or whatever, then uh, you can't really do anything against that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think anyone's in real life presently. I'm certainly not in, in real life. I, I guess there are modern tournaments going on out there. Yeah, uh, I was yeah. mostly speaking for the future, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, if there is a future for this deck, which I think remains to be seen, uh, I don't know how long this metagame is going to last. Uh, and, you know, I would laugh at myself saying this if it was three years ago, but this is just kind of how we do things now. We, we move more quickly, we ban things more quickly, and the appetite is there for a banning if things feel out of control. And some of the things this deck does feel very out of control. And along those lines... Do you see other ways to do this type of stuff? I'm starting to see some Mox Amber stuff out there, which is, you know, more explosive ostensibly. Like it can it can do the thing sooner. I kind of like doing more and for a longer game with the Trail of Crumbs approach. I do too. Uh, Mox Amber is interesting. It's a powerful magic card. I think a lot of people are going to argue that is it is potentially better than this, and I, I don't really see why. And as it would be like Emery, Urza, Mox Amber, probably like Ragavan in the mix would be my yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Devin O'Donnell, Dean Wake has been streaming it the last couple of days. And like, it, it's it's funny to watch these games play out where it's like, wow, your deck is so clunky, but then he keeps winning and then keeps like declaring that the deck is busted, which it, it may or may not be, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, well, my deck does the same thing, but like more consistent and cleaner. So I'm not really seeing what the advantage is. like. I guess you're blue, so you have Hercules Recall on your sideboard or something, which is like a, a good card, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. It's like I, I watch the games play out and I'm just like, yeah, this is not this is not on the same level as as Trail of Crumbs. 
any other approaches then that have caught your eyes maybe dude, potentially being on the same level dude i'm i'm working on some stuff right now uh, okay sneak preview or god I don't, I don't even know um i'm not i'm not even sure <laughs> like how to describe what is going on in my head so basically i want to try playing Ren six and in in which shell would it be better in? i'm not sure so like i have some sketches with ren asmore emery and then some mox ambers so it's like okay you're a teamer where do you go from here well you know you play cookbook obviously you play bobble to go with emery mm -hmm. and then it's like what do i want the rest of the deck to be and i don't really know uh, but basically like everything that we've talked about you know finale trail uh, all the random targets, more artifact stuff, like Thought Monitor, like these could all potentially be in the deck, and I'm not sure. The thing that is really hitting me right now in regards to Modern and Magic Online is basically like choice paralysis, mm. where that like I, I wanted to play humans and I did, I wanted to play green, black, and I did, and I tried a few other things, and now I'm just like, okay, well now I have 20 things on the docket. Where do I go? Uh, and in the meantime, I'm still like building new decks. So now I want you to for a second imagine you're having all of these thoughts and all these things interest you and you want to build all these awesome looking decks with MH2 and you haven't been able to get to your freaking computer for two weeks straight since the release of this set. And I just want you to imagine the turmoil that has consumed my soul over the past two weeks as I have to just watch these sweet decks not, not only be played, but evolve. All these things I could be contributing to and having a hand in and thinking about, I've just been completely shut out of, and I am going berserk. But as I record Ryan. today, Jerry, I am, I am on my old computer. It's set up in my new house. I'm using my old microphone. We're so close to being able to play games of magic. Brian, the last time I checked, Walmart has a seven day full return policy. No questions asked. Well, you could, you could have told me that a week ago. Now it's too late because um, I have my computer back. So we're so, so close. Basically, I, I thought I was going to be able to spend yesterday just grinding out games. It didn't work out. Uh, I was dealing with many broken objects, including a broken PS5. So uh, pour one out for me. Brutal. Yeah actually got a ps5 and now it's destroyed uh so if anyone has a ps5 you know who, who, is, up. who is this moving company put them on blast real quick ah, jerry see here's the thing i would love to do that but i saw a very good twitter post quite some time ago that said all humans basically once they cross the threshold of having like a thousand followers on twitter are incapable of resisting the allure to put a company on blast and to call in their clout and we'll always turn to the dark side and do it. And I've probably done it before, honestly, but if, since I saw that post, I'm I, trying not to go that route. If I've done it, I've only done it like twice max. That's because, my guess too. That's my guess. Here's the thing. Whenever I see someone like I, I'm going to put this person on blast because I think they're the person I see do it the most. And also I don't think that they're going to listen to this podcast, but Whenever something like went wrong with one of Tom Martell's flights or whatever, he'd be like, <laughs> hey, at United, blah, blah, blah. And it's never like, you know, just at United so that only right. people who follow like United and Tom Martell can see it. He yeah, made it's sure, a blasting. Yeah, he made sure to do it so that like all of his followers could see it. Right. And that's the type of stuff where I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? And I, I don't 
I can't remember a single time where I've ever done that because whenever I see someone do that, I'm just like, that is so cringy. But I, I, I don't want you to just like air your grievances. I want anyone who is like going to potentially go with this moving company to not do it. I know. It's not like, yeah, you know, United operates a million flights a day or whatever. So some of your crew are going to be good. Some are going to be bad, depending on where you are, right? Like, right. it's, and it's this think, moving company, which no, I... No, I, I think that's the same thing with this moving company. They're, I, they're big I, enough? I think they're big enough. Okay. And I, I also think I'm trying to be as level-headed about this as I possibly can. I think these people had an extremely difficult job. Like, they had to pack every single belonging I've accumulated over my 38 no, years of life. Dude, that, and, sounds, that sounds like their job. And it, it is, it is. And so, they got paid a lot of money to do it. So well, it, they, the people specifically probably did not get all that money. Right. Okay. But, fair point. Yeah. So like, I, yes, you can, you can argue it both ways where it's like, oh yeah, you know, like this is definitely a hard day for the moving company or whatever, or the, the movers who were assigned to your move and that sucks. Yep. But I, I don't know. It's like, you can't, you can't really get mad at a person for not doing their job well when, you know, they're almost certainly getting exploited by the owners of that company, right? right. Well, let's just so, play out the scenario. Like so, if, if so, I put them on blast, who's going to get in trouble? So, so I get that. But at the same time, it's like you're, you're dealing with someone's like entire livelihood, right? Like, so it's yeah. your things, yeah. man, that's, that's like so, so personal. It is. It is. And honestly, like the PS5 certainly sucks. The harder consequences of all this is they broke some stuff of my wife's that is irreplaceable. Like right. her, Heirlooms. her, yeah, her grandmother's stuff and a, a boat that her, it's like a, one of those miniature model ships that her grandfather made by hand. And he both have since passed away. So it's not like you can recover those things or bring it back to them and say, Hey, can you fix this? So right. that, that's where it's really hard. And I'm really upset the other stuff is just dollars. And at some point, it might just be made right, honestly. Like their insurance policy might pay out. And while I can't get another PlayStation 5 because they're impossible to get, um, at some point, I, I will have another one and it'll be fine. But that stuff does make me upset. I just don't think there's anything to be done, though. Like even though I put them on blast, the I didn't say, unless I put a specific set of movers on blast then you're not being saved from anything because there's probably 20 crews that this moving company uses if not way more than sure. that sure yeah I, I, I thought if it was like a smaller company it's like well these people obviously don't care about your stuff find a different yeah. company maybe maybe the other company will or whatever but yeah know. and it, it wasn't like a just complete negligence it was just like small things that didn't make sense like why would you pack a PlayStation 5 with all the stuff plugged in and then put things on top of it so there's pressure on the HDMI cable and it just snaps the stupid thing off? Like, it's such an obvious outcome with the way they packed it. And that, that doesn't, know, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, man. It does not. But that's it. That's it for my my griping about moving concerns. Overall, things are are good, and the new house is pleasant. I'm posting lots of beautiful nature pics that I hope everyone's enjoying. Had some turkeys in my yard yesterday. Oh, I didn't see the uh, turkeys yet. Oh, you, you should take a look at them. Like a, a big tom turkey, which is the the name for a male turkey, and he brought two of his female friends along to the yard with him. So, Damn. Uh, yeah, that was cool, and beautiful birds all over the place. So only minimal complaining on my part. It'll all get straightened out eventually.
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel bad for your wife and all of her stuff. Like you said, your your things is like it's just money; it can get taken care of, it can get replaced. But like, you know, her stuff can't. That's yeah, fucking blows. It it does blow, uh, but but we'll get through it, and then eventually we'll recover with some games of Magic Online, which I'm sure will uh, ease all of her her ails. In, in the meantime, Walmart, check it out. Deal. Uh, Wait, why? Why are we advertising for Walmart? That's terrible. No, because you can you can just basically borrow a computer from them for a week and return. Oh, so we're advertising a scam. I mean, it's not a scam; it's their policy. Okay, we're advertising their policy, a generous policy. Thank you, Walmart. Free seven days of computers for anyone who wants them. Yeah, go get go get yours. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, all you got to do is you know put up the the thousand dollars or whatever for a week. You'll get it back. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You can, you can do that on credit. Oh, okay. Yeah, even better. Right. And then, uh, you know, you return your computer and then just go right back to the back and rebuy the same one and keep doing it. (laughs) Just rent a computer forever? Yeah, in perpetuity. I feel like at some point they must have some limitation on this. I don't know. Or maybe it doesn't matter enough that they... Yeah, who cares? They just don't care. Yeah. I I read a Reddit post some time ago about someone who uh, was using GameStop as their bank. They were basically just uh, (laughs) pre-ordering every game. Oh, then canceling? And and then canceling and getting the money back. And they said it was more efficient than using a bank because sometimes they wanted the games. They didn't have to worry about like going to the bank because there was a GameStop close to them. So I I don't know. Kind of checked out. But why would you not just use a bank? GameStop was more convenient. It was there. They were already in GameStop. Okay. Uh-huh. Look, I'm not. I'm not here to judge. I've done a lot of backwards things myself. If this person wants to bank with GameStop, so be it. Yeah, I don't know. I just. I just feel like, you know, what if? What if you need money and you know the GameStop's closed. GameStop's closed. You can't go to. You can't go to the GameStop ATM. You know. Or like GameStop goes out of business. It seems like you might be in some trouble. Yeah. Or... Yeah, that's fair too. I doubt they're going to pay you out. You know, they might give you the games when they come out, but. Right, right. Anyway, uh, last last little stew I got going here, right? Yeah. All right, so I want to do Renin 6 with Urza Saga, but I also want my constructs to not be tiny. So I have Asmore Cookbook because I think that those are just genuinely good cards, right? Yes. So then where do you go from there? Well... Artifact lands? Can you do that? Oh my god, they're so bad. They ETB tapped, Brian. Just Dark Steel Citadel, if you really want to cast that Renin Six. Yeah, how do you cast Renin Six, man? You already have four colorless lands. Yeah. So, did you know that there's a zero mana cycler that is not Street Wraith? There's Edge of Autumn. There is Edge of Autumn. Is that what you're talking about? So you can play Flagstones. Okay, yeah. You can play Elvish Reclaimer. And then you can play Dryad to kind of mitigate yeah, the, the mana cost of this. Saga, right? And Renin 6 allows you to make more land drops off of Dryad. Maybe you're using all of this mana to Trail of Crumbs. Uh, maybe you have like two copies of Eladomri's Call. And since you have like Renin 6 rebuying lands, maybe you don't need Daredevil, right? But like you could Eladomri's Call for like the one Daredevil to serve your, your four cookbooks, or you could get either a Street Wraith or an Asmore, depending on which one you need. You, If you're playing Mishra's Bobble, just to pump your constructs mostly, you could play like a Lurus as a draw engine. 
Look, I, I like all of this, but I'm concerned you're starting to sound sort of like me. Like you haven't accomplished all that much in any of this. And it's it's just a bunch of like really good cards that smush together. Like all of your points make sense. They all combine really well. You also just have a deck right now that literally can make a tremendous battlefield off a stupid witch's oven. And that's enough. Like you can do everything with that. So why are you putting all these complicated pieces together? <laughs> Have you ever like come to a mostly correct conclusion? You're like, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. I'll do that. Right. But then you find out that there's like a strictly better thing. Uh, that is my deck building process in a nutshell. Yes. Right. So like, why, why would you stop at, at potentially second best? Like it, like I said, if I had a big tournament, I'd play green black until I figure it out. In the meantime, I'm going to keep trying to break it. Well, I support you in that. I, I think you've done it once already I, I do think you have the best list for this archetype and i mean don't don't pat me on the back too much man because this this was like not really my doing you know it was like i saw people playing all of these cards and then i just chose the best ones that you just described magic deck building basically i mean that's that's what the process is and you extrapolated through lots and lots of data and found the points you liked and put it together. That's that's what we do. I don't I don't know how else to to phrase it. And look, that's part of the reason why I don't try to seek credit for ideas anymore. Right. Like if I come up with something and then someone changes it by two cards, they've changed it and they may have reached the conclusion independently. And that's fine. I don't need someone to assign a deck to me. That doesn't make any sense anymore. Okay, this, this, this is what the process looks like. This is what I don't want to take credit for. I do not want to take credit for the idea of like Oval Chase Daredevil and like Asmore plus Cookbook plus Saga in Green Black. No. I will happily take credit for I have the best plans. Because sure, I do. that's that's all I'm trying to give you credit for. Okay. Not not the deck. I didn't I didn't build the deck, but I figured out what the best plans are. And you know that that's i think if someone like built a another very good deck my deck would be better because i have better plans right like maybe maybe they don't have the best plans but in the meantime i'm also gonna like keep trying to improve on it and i, I don't want to say like i need to fix things or whatever but like maybe there's there's a better backup plan than trail right because like trail is doing the job and it's doing it well but it might not be the best thing I look forward to seeing what you come up with. Keep me posted. Keep our Discord posted. We'll keep the podcast posted. We'll come back next week, probably with some more modern stuff, although we are getting close to another preview season. It's it's rapidly coming upon us, so we'll see how much more modern we can do. No, that's cool, uh, because I, I think that might be reaching a point of burnout, you know? Okay. You've you've done your games. Well, not me, dude. I'm, I'm still going hard. I honestly don't know when I'm going to burn out. Uh, and then... You know, it's possible that they like ban something and then it's like, OK, we get to start the process all over again. Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I feel like I missed this process, but I'll get in on the next one uh, where we can really explore the rest of what's an image too. I do feel like if there aren't any big tournaments, there might not be a reason to ban stuff because the proliferation for this stuff is not that high on Magic Online. Like you, you look at, you know, the challenge results and it's like yep. there are sagas in a decent amount of decks, but it's not. A, just like an overwhelming number you know and certainly like golgari by itself is a very small portion of the winner's metagame so you know maybe if there was like a pro tour or like a string of grand prix or a ptq season or whatever and people yeah, had yeah. a reason to really like hammer down and play the best stuff then that that's typically when bannings occur right it's not like 
everyone's just splashing around doing the things that they like, you know? Everything's 3% of the metagame. Who cares? Let it roll. True, true. Well, we'll see what this week's challenges and events bring, uh, and then we'll check back in next week. Game! Good luck.